Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. From the heart of the Carolinas, aiming the cannon of truth at strongholds of stupidity. Who, who are black people supposed to call? Ghostbusters? So we need to stop that beef on and abolish the cops crap. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. And good morning. Welcome to the broadcast. Good to be back with you. Hope all is well in your world. We, of course, will continue our conversation about the fallout from Tuesday night's election. But something that is actually on the way is also gathering our attention again. And that is Nicole. Here's one of the headlines in reference to Nicole and the potential of problems it could bring to the area. Strong winds, heavy rain. Heading our way, the remnants of Nicole expected to track through the Carolinas. In fact, there's a flood watch in effect for parts of western North Carolina and the mountains through Friday night. A wind advisory in effect for the mountains upstate as well. So what can we expect exactly? So we turn to our resident meteorologist, Richard Llewellyn, from the Weather Channel, who's always faithful to join us during times like this. Good morning. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Good morning, Vince. How are you today? Hey, doing very well, very well. Here in the Charlotte area and, of course, uh, our listeners in the Greenville, Spartanburg, upstate area, very curious about what might be ahead with this storm. First off, tell us where it is now. Uh, what's the status of the storm? What's it doing? Well, uh, we have the coldest, which has been downgraded to a tropical storm, has winds of 60 miles per hour, and it's going to continue to track across uh, the Florida Peninsula through the afternoon. It may get back out into the Gulf waters for a brief period of time, maybe a couple of hours before it makes its uh, second landfall in uh, around Apalachicola, Florida, and then we'll track across the big bend of Florida up through Georgia and then work up into the Carolinas. We've kind of timed everything out. We've been uh, watching the the storm here pretty uh, good here over the last few days. One of the things about the storm, is it's got a huge wind field. The wind field extends out 460 miles from the center. Wow. So it is a, a huge storm. And we've already seen uh, some gusty winds uh, for the low country of South Carolina, starting to see some of those uh, shower bands starting to work into the South Carolina coast. And over the next several hours uh, here in Charlotte, probably after 3 o'clock today, uh, the winds are going to become increasingly breezy. The rains are going to start to work in uh, later this afternoon into the evening commute. The rains are going to continue overnight. They're going to linger through Friday, probably as late as Friday night up till about 9 p.m. here in Charlotte. We're still going to be looking at the risk of some rain showers. So a long-duration rain event taking shape. Rain should stay light here in Charlotte for the afternoon and evening this evening. And then the heavier rains will come in as we get to Nicole's closest approach in here early tomorrow morning, probably about 5 o'clock tomorrow morning is what will be the closest approach to Charlotte. There is a decent tornado threat for tomorrow as well uh, for much of the North Carolina Piedmont. You know, normal tropical systems like this usually have some type of a tornado component associated with it. And we will probably see one or two tornadoes develop across the region tomorrow. So we're going to be keeping our eyes on that potential. Flooding doesn't look to be much of a concern for Charlotte. Uh, we've got a, the drought monitor just came out an hour ago, 
And we have abnormally dry conditions for most of the Charlotte metro, a moderate drought for the PD right now. So, you know, it looks like rainfall amounts here for Charlotte probably going to be about an inch. But as you move into the upstate and western North Carolina, the rainfall numbers uh, go up a pretty good bit. One to two inches of rain expected there. One of the reasons they're currently under the flood watch right now. And then the upstate, we're probably going to start to see the rains get underway after 3 o'clock today. Winds will be picking up through the afternoon and evening, continuing overnight. Should stay light through the overnight. And then tomorrow morning, probably about 3 o'clock in the morning tomorrow morning, is when the cold's closest approach to the upstate will happen. And uh, we could easily see in some of those higher ridges, easily winds gusting up over 50 miles per hour uh, later tonight and early tomorrow morning. And rainfall amounts, one to two inches, a pretty good bet. Most of the rain should be done in the upstate by sunset, and we should transition into a pretty nice weekend. But uh, there is a big surprise coming in the long-range forecast that uh, has the potential to deliver a little bit of uh, snow, sleet, and freezing rain. Say what? Yes. We transition from one season to another this weekend. <laughs> we have a cold front that's going to sweep everything out of the way. Cold air is going to come in, and then we have a new system that takes shape along the Texas Gulf Coast on Monday. And this looks like this may become a nor'easter that will probably make its way up through the Gulf of Mexico, come up through Georgia and the Carolinas, just like this system will do. But uh, with the cold air in place, we're going to be looking at the potential for some winter precipitation to develop along the escarpment, foothills, and upstate, and probably for much of western North Carolina uh, as we make our way into Tuesday night and early Wednesday. Overnight low temperatures by then will be in the 30s. So we're going to be looking at the potential for some winter weather concerns once we get Nicole out of the way and bring in the colder weather for the upcoming weekend and early next week. Wow, this is quite a surprise to hear about this. Now, you mentioned the upstate. Now, is this something that would carry into the immediate Charlotte area as well? Uh, what kind of issues could we face here? Well, the the, the, the temperatures are, are, are a little warm here for Charlotte for the potential for some winter weather concerns with the next system coming up. Um, but I think with the upstate and western North Carolina, they're going to have a couple of nights uh, once we get this cold front through coming through late tomorrow night into Saturday, they're going to have a couple of nights down in the 30s before this next nor'easter comes up through there. So there may be enough cold air to support a little bit better opportunity for some accumulating winter weather in those locations. I think for Charlotte, we're just going to be a little bit too warm. But, you know, we still have four or five days to kind of play with the forecast. And I think we're going to get a better handle on this as the weekend, as we roll through the weekend, especially in the Monday and Tuesday with the system approaching. So, you know, the... Uh, uh, the, the, the famous lines in meteorology, stay tuned for updates, uh, because it could get pretty interesting as we move into early next week once we get uh, Nicole out of the way to start to bring in some colder air. This will probably be some of the warmest, you know, the temperatures that we've got here right now, mostly in the 50s and 60s. You know, we had a pretty warm day yesterday. You know, we're, we're done with these warm temperatures. Once this cold front comes through this weekend, we get Nicole out of the way. I think we're off to the races in regards to winter weather. So I think the cold air is going to be sticking around. Much of the country is going to go below average for temperatures starting next week, and we should keep that around all the way through Thanksgiving, the way things are looking at this point. All right. Uh, wow, we certainly appreciate that warning. Uh, we only have about 30 seconds left in this segment uh, to make sure we're kind of wrapping the, things up with Nicole. So we're talking about heavy rain, possibility of strong winds. All of that's over with by tomorrow. Is that correct? 
Yeah, it looks like we'll transition out of this probably by tomorrow evening, probably about 5 o'clock in the upstate, probably 9 p.m. for Charlotte. And it's a done deal. We have a nice weekend, colder temperatures coming in, and then the rain with the next system coming in early next week to bring a winter weather surprise to the western Carolinas and upstate, uh, especially uh, during the day, uh, Tuesday night into early Wednesday. Well, terrific. Well, thanks very much. I think (laughs) this is going to be very interesting to watch, to say the least. Uh, Quite a transition in weather for sure. Richard Llewelling, thanks a lot for coming on the broadcast this morning, sir. Thank you, Vince. And there you have it. You know, how's this for a surprise? Is this what you were expecting? The possibility of winter weather coming in in November? I don't remember the last time that's happened. It seems like it's been quite a while if ever, in the 30 years that I've been here. Yes, I just realized yesterday marked 30 years that I've been here in the Carolinas. Pretty amazing. And I've loved it here, which is why I'm still here. We'll jump right into the election news, post-election news. And boy, is it getting interesting. (laughs) Stay with us. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, a couple of comical texts in response to our conversation with Richard Llewelling, talking about the tropical storm, the remnants of it headed our way. And then after that, the possibility of winter weather over the weekend. Can you believe this? This gets crazy. The early part of next week. This texture in the upstate only in South Carolina and North Carolina. Can we have all four seasons in a few weeks' time? Well, in a week's time, yes. And this person saying, at least I'll be able to make a snowman out of the leaf piles I just rigged. (laughs) Not sure you'll be able to get that much snow, but you just never can tell. You'll want to stay tuned for the latest weather information right here. We'll keep you posted. If you'd like to join the conversation, and we'll have plenty to talk about today, the Ingalls Markets Talk Line, 800-928-1110, 800-928-1110. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. And yes, we do have a whole lot of fallout. I'm just going to give you a heads up today. If you are any kind of snowflake, any kind, you don't want to listen to today's broadcast because it's getting kind of ugly. And I'm just going to predict to you, it may get uglier in the coming days. Because now that the contest between the Democrats and the Republicans is almost over, we've still got some counting going on, which is still beyond me. You know, one of the things I was reflecting on yesterday, I was just thinking, how did our voting process unfold before? I mean, thinking back to the old days. At the very beginning, how long did it take them? And I know there were fewer people. But this thing, I don't remember this stretching on days and days and days at the the very beginning, certainly the early part of my life. And I would think with the advanced technology that we have today, something that's going on is just not right. I'll repeat what I said yesterday. If you want to look at a state that definitely has this down, it's Florida. They were the laughing stock for years over the dimpled chads, the 
you know, the many variations of Chad's, they got their act together. Everything resolved in one night, in a matter of hours. So the fact that some of these other states are still counting, it just raises the question of competence and of initiative. Do they really care? Are they determined to get this right election night? Is there? Are they even trying? That's what I'm curious about. It's just kind of weird. Over on the text line, Vince, after your show yesterday, I listened to local upstate South Carolina talk radio. What I found stimulated about conservative callers who called in, instead of reflecting upon what went wrong in the midterms, 90% thought more Republicans won, but did not do the cheating. Vince, this is a huge problem for Republicans. It's time to stop this stolen election mentality and get our Republican act together. Uh, Yeah, you're not going to hear that garbage here. I just don't have time for it. I don't. And again, if you have an example of, I've given to you an example of a state that's gotten it right. And if there are problems in certain areas and in certain states, it's the responsibility of people in those states to fix those issues. Period. Now, I don't know what extent we could do it. We could lean on our fellow citizens in parts of the country, Pennsylvania, out west in some of those states, to get their act together, but I I just don't know. I just don't know, folks. This texture saying they've learned how to steal and stay in office. Even third world countries finish the counting in a day. <laughs> One day, it's election day, not election month. Hey, I'm with you on this. It's getting crazy. Keep counting until desired outcome. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, this gets kind of crazy. This texture saying the fix is taking place right in front of our eyes in Arizona, Nevada, Oregon. These cheating Democrats just can't stand losing. Just like the 2020 presidential election. Stop counting if the Republican starts pulling ahead. So we have time to find more ballots. Cheating Dems and dumb Republicans allow it. Disgraceful. Oh, my gosh. Why are we still mailing in votes? Easy to cheat, this texter said. You know, what's really interesting about this. Again, uh, some of these things are in place in other states, and they've done fine. They've gotten all of this accomplished, wrapped up in the time that is allotted. But we move on. As you know, the fate of the Senate depends partially on what happens down in Georgia. Warnock versus Walker. That contest slated for December 6th. Let me just say something very, very important. Would you please hear me on this? And you know I've had some very very critical comments about Mr. Walker. Now, I still hope he wins, but I'm telling you this. It is very, very important for the focus of attention and energy to be on that particular race. 
Okay, I want to make myself very, very clear. Are you ready for this? Anybody who provides an unnecessary and unhealthy distraction from that race in Georgia needs to be ignored. From a political standpoint, in terms of preserving the the integrity of our republic, that's the most important race right now. Officially, the midterms are not over. And anybody who is trying to grab attention or the spotlight for any other thing right now on the political stage needs to be shunned. You'll hear somebody communicate this very idea a little bit later on. We already mentioned the Arizona race still out there. According to Drudge, tilting Democrat. I cannot remember which race it was, but there was one race where they there was a concern. Oh, I think it might have been right here in North Carolina. The way the night started off, where Ted Budd's opponent was ahead, it was largely because of early voting. And some people were like, oh my goodness, she might win. Sherry Beasley. As it turned out, the very opposite of what we've seen in some of these other races happened. As the day of votes came in and were counted, well, guess what happened? It was Ted Budd who won. So don't be afraid of information coming in and legitimate votes coming in. That's natural. Now, are people trying to exploit that? I do not know. I really don't. And in some cases, we may never know. By the way, the ratings are down for the midterms, down 30%. I think people are tired of the BS. Stay with us. And we're back on the broadcast in the wake of the 2022 midterms. Texter says Dems and Republicans are the establishment. America lost, but they won. GOP won regardless of seat numbers. They've calculated how to keep agents of change out and establishment in. GOP may very well have come up with the idea. Hmm. There was no steal in 2020. There was no steal Tuesday. None whatsoever. Fraudulent? A thousand percent. Stolen? Absolutely not. The establishment did it. Uh Uh-huh. The establishment. Quite intriguing here. Did you hear that Kaylee McEnany is telling President Trump to stay away from Georgia in the midst of Herschel Walker's election bid? She was his top loyalist, for God's sake. That should tell you something. She's suggesting Ron DeSantis go up there and campaign for him. 
we have this. Trump is doing what he does best. He mucks up everything with his big mouth and ego. Ron DeSantis for president. Wow. This is getting interesting. Just saying, Mike Pence, is he good or not? What if DeSantis was with Trump? Would his career look the same as Pence's now? And this is why I'm an independent, not a Republican, because Republican voted down political lines because anybody who picked Herschel as a senator, not as a person, but as a senator, proves to me I don't want to be a Republican either. Hmm. We also have this. Just last hour, I heard Tom Tillis describe himself as a conservative. What an absolute clown. He's at best a John McCain wannabe. More like a Neville Chamberlain. Always lives up to low expectations. Wow, you folks are brutal. <laughs> Quite brutal. Vince loved the show question. When only about 38% of eligible voters actually show up to vote, and the vote is fairly evenly split, with a winning candidate getting 20 to 21% of the eligible vote, how does this in any way reflect the will of the people? It reflects the will of those most engaged. The rest of us are the exhausted majority and feel our participation is pointless. Really? Does that mean you didn't participate? I'm just curious. It's not a good thing. Chris Z and Earl, I'm pleased to report Cleveland County voted red. Well, that's good. The vote of anyone who dies before Election Day should not count. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, my goodness. Just a sampling of some of the items here on the text line. Let's jump right in. We're very glad to report great, great coverage, as usual, by the UK Daily Mail. Reporting Ron Johnson wins Wisconsin, keeps Republican hopes of winning the Senate alive, with Arizona and Nevada still too close to call. Georgia heading to a runoff. And after Fetterman's win in Pennsylvania. So Ron Johnson is secure, winning his seat over Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. The Associated Press called that race just before the end of yesterday's broadcast. Johnson had earlier lashed out at the media for not calling his race, claiming Barnes had no path mathematically to victory. So this keeps alive the party's hope of taking over the Senate. Republicans will need to win two of the three races to flip control of the upper chamber from Democrats. Since that seat in Pennsylvania went down. So those other two states are going to be closely watched to see the outcome. Very closely watched. And we will monitor that here just in case something happens. I want to offer a disclaimer to you before I go into this segment, because I know there are some who will certainly manifest. For those of you who may not know what manifest means, <laughs> I, I get this from kind of my some of my religious background in certain churches. Somebody is said to manifest when they are showing displaying something let's say uh like the manifestation for some not saying everybody some the manifestation for some 
that you are spirit-filled is to speak in tongues or a manifestation. Or you can have manifestations on the other end of the demonic type. This would be like, I don't know, uh, what is that movie that um, about demon possession? Or you can go back to um, something like, uh, what was the, the omen? Yeah, that was a manifestation, the car scene. Where the kid gets close to the church and starts screaming and yelling and kicking and spitting. Those are manifestations. I'm just saying that in case people are wondering, what do I mean by that? (laughs) Because there are things that are going to be very uncomfortable for some people to hear. But I was just reflecting on this this morning. And I tell you all the time, I draw from a multitude of media sources. I'm not in anybody's camp. I'm not a Fox News devotee. I'm not dedicated to any one network. I take in information from a variety of sources. I don't think anybody is 100% on the money. And I don't think anybody is 100% wrong. And certainly when compared with certain politicians... Even politicians who don't think they are politicians, some who are deceitful and liars, um, their counsel, their information, their comments have to be weighed in the balance as well. I should be certainly just as skeptical of them as I am of the mainstream news media. Just putting that out there, because I think that's important. Mediaite reporting on Donald Trump's reaction on election night. Trump super ticked off, screaming at everyone over humiliating midterms. Said to be livid, screaming at everyone. This was a Trump advisor talking to CNN's Jim Acosta. And I know a lot of you are... I'm not a fan of Jim Acosta either. A person... Trump certainly hates with the fire of a thousand suns. Reporting that Trump's ire had been building in public and in private as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis becomes a greater and greater threat to his bid for a second term in 2024. Wednesday morning, Acosta gave readers an early taste of Trump's state of mind following election night that figures to be a crashing disappointment for Republicans, which is already being blamed on Trump. Acosta wrote on Twitter, Trump is livid, screaming at everyone. After last night's disappointing midterm results for the GOP, the advisor went on to slam the former president's hand-picked contenders. They were all bad candidates. Candidates matter, is what the advisor said. We're going to talk more about this, more in the reaction and the battle that's coming as we continue. So I'm telling you about one story about how the news of the disappointing election returns have hit Donald Trump. The man is clearly not happy, and it's understandable. This advisor, whoever this advisor is, is running the money. You know what's really sad here? And folks, don't get this twisted. 
But I hate to agree with something communicated by Mitch McConnell some weeks ago. You remember there was this spat going on between Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott. Mitch McConnell was raising questions about the quality of the candidates. Mitch McConnell asked a legitimate question. He made a legitimate assessment. It was not the right time to do that. Once the primaries were over, that was not the time to say that. But I think we can agree. Many of us can agree. There are some pretty crappy candidates here. Let's just be blunt about it. And I've said this to you before, folks. Just because someone is tied to someone that you like... It's not all that's going to be necessary for that person to win. This is why you cannot cede this area over to one person, ever. Ever. And this is where I think this entire process got twisted. The blow was so crushing, the idea of delaying his promised 2024 announcement appears to have been floated in Trump world. This advisor said it's unlikely Trump would delay his expected presidential announcement because it's too humiliating to delay. But the advisor said there are too many unknowns at this point. Acosta and Trump, as you know, have sparred frequently during the 2016 campaign and Trump's term in office. And Acosta... Dealt Trump a painful defeat when a judge ruled Trump could not ban him from the White House briefing room. But Acosta also became a conduit for disaffected Trump White House staffers who would run to leak negative stories and quotes to Acosta during the latter part of the last administration. So if Trump is this angry already, it's not likely his mood's going to improve when he learns his current advisors are talking to Acosta and pulling back the curtain on an enraged and embarrassed would-be kingmaker as they've also been doing with Acosta's colleague, Maggie Haberman, which we may mention later on. Semaphore, another publication. Donald Trump's candidates slumped, and he's looking for someone to blame. Rough night for Republicans, especially for prominent candidates who scored Donald Trump's early endorsement or mimicked his style of politics. By the way, it's worth mentioning here, As you know, right here in North Carolina, he endorsed Ted Budd. Now, the difference here is Ted Budd was a sitting member of Congress. Ted Budd was already a solid person before becoming connected with Donald Trump. And the truth of the matter is, he might very well have prevailed without Donald Trump. By the way, his liberty score is 84%. You have a reliably conservative incoming senator. I was going to say this yesterday. This is a praise item. You, we, are getting an upgrade here in North Carolina for a senator. A genuine conservative. I just thought I should tell you that. It's very important for you to know. It's one of the reasons why I have no hesitation in being supportive. Not endorsing, but being supportive. 
Semaphore reporting Trump spent the early morning hours Wednesday defending his record on Truth Social. Awoke the day after his viewing party at, party at Mar-a-Lago in a particularly angry mood, in part over Republican Senate nominee Mehmet Oz, who lost to Democrat John Fetterman. Trump's anger to two people close to Trump, told Semaphore, was widespread, ranging from frustration at donors to being upset with Fox News host Sean Hannity. Former president even blamed his wife, Melania, over her push to bolster Oz, according to New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman. He's frustrated. The Oz thing has really irked him. And here's another example, folks. I don't know Dr. Oz. I really don't. Might he have made a good congressman, a good senator? Perhaps. But again, here's somebody with no experience. All he has is celebrity. Running against an experienced politician. I'm not saying this always works. But I know there were missteps. What is that stupid thing, that word we were talking about yesterday? That they served on election night at Fetterman headquarters. The reason we even know about that, this was this was not a good campaign. Still, even as conservatives openly rebuke Trump over the midterms, Republicans struggle to grasp what exactly happened. He's likely to remain unmoved from his current plan to regain control of the party and the presidency. This is exactly what's going to happen. We're heading for a showdown, folks. We are. And it's one of the few reasons that I'm even talking about this. Because it's the elephant in the room. It's got to be addressed. We'll finish talking about this story and some of the other news as we continue our Thursday broadcast. Stay with us. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. From the heart of the Carolinas, a voice in the wilderness, a thought-provoking broadcast in a world of ignorant nonsense. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? Yes, I guess you're right. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Hour number two of our broadcast. I want to quickly continue what I was sharing. And this is a story by people advising President Trump to delay the launch of his campaign. And part of this is out of concern for Georgia. This needs to be the central focus of attention. Winning Georgia. There's no reason on the planet that a Democrat should be in either one of these seats. You remember what happened back in the year 2000. Both of these seats were taken by Democrats. And I think largely what is to blame for this is all of this nonsense about stolen elections. So we had people who didn't even bother to show up. That's why we lost. By the way, there's a lot of analysis that's been done on these elections in Georgia. One of the big problems for Herschel Walker was turnout. And I get it. The people who showed up for Brian Kemp, for him to overwhelmingly win his race, did not support Herschel Walker. He's got to earn their support. Now, I want to make this very clear. The bulk of the responsibility is his. But nobody should detract from this particular race right now. Nobody. 
I told you there are some who are calling on Donald Trump to delay any announcement he may make. And it's kind of interesting. This is not a never-Trumper thing. So if you want to put this in that category, if you are so close-minded that that's all you think, anything contrary to what feels good to you about your person, has to be from a never-Trumper. First off, you need to get a life. But second off, you need to understand where this is coming from. Jason Miller. I've met Jason Miller and talked with him. Former Trump advisor. Said I'll be advising him that he move his announcement until after the Georgia runoff. He spent the night with the former president at his Mar-a-Lago club in Florida. Georgia needs to be the focus of every Republican in the country right now, he said. Trump sought to use the midterms as an opportunity to prove his enduring political influence after losing the White House in 2020. He endorsed more than 330 candidates in races up and down the ballot, often elevating inexperienced and deeply flawed candidates. He reveled in their primary victories, but many of their positions, including echoes of Trump's message about a stolen 2020 election and embracing Hardline views on abortion, according to the Associated Press, were out of step with the political mainstream. Trump did not some big wins Tuesday, especially in Ohio, where his pick for the Senate, hillbilly elegy author J.D. Vance, sailed to easy victory after Trump's endorsement capitulated him, actually catapulted him, to the front of the pack. And I mentioned Ted Budd. Look at these two people, though. J.D. Vance already had a following. He was already established as an author. He's the one who helped to, to legitimize this grassroots effort. So people understood him, and he understands people. This is why he prevailed. J.D. Vance is not a slouch. He's no idiot. He's a smart guy. That's why he's going to be Senator J.D. Vance. That's why. But Trump lost some of the biggest prizes, Pennsylvania in particular. Mehmet Oz narrowly lost his Senate contest to John Fetterman. Trump-backed candidates also lost governor's races in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Maryland, a Senate race in New Hampshire. Though Trump seemed to celebrate the latter, bashing Republican... <laughs> Dan Bolduc for trying to moderate his stances by backing off his embrace of Trump's election lies. Had he stayed strong and true, he would have won easily. Lessons learned. Also cheered the loss of Colorado Republican Senate hopeful Joe O'Day, who said he thought it was time for the party to move on from Trump. Of course he's going to say that. <sighs> oh, my goodness. I thought you should know about this because... Folks, like I said, there's a battle coming, and it may not be pretty at all. So while people are urging Trump to delay his launch, there's a different type of pressure that's on Ron DeSantis. Before we get to that, though, we should probably share this. This is from James Carville, Democratic consultant, political commentator. 
He was on Morning Joe yesterday commenting on the election. And he has something pretty harsh to say. And the reasons for why the Republican Party did not do so well. It's very quick. Listen to it. Here's James Carville. I, I'm, I'm going to try because I'm sitting here saying if, if you put everything in a computer, we should have lost 57 seats. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Four or five Senate seats. And the reason is really Donald Trump. I mean, he bought people out to vote against this. Um, you know, it, 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 it just it had a suppressive effect. He, he, he out-trumped inflation. He out-trumped crime. He out-trumped the, the normal cycle of the first off-year election with an incumbent president. I mean, what did we say earlier in the year? It was the point I made on this broadcast. The center focus of attention has to be Joe Biden, his failed policies. Instead, we got off on all kinds of crazy crap. I told you before, we got to drop 2020. And I don't care what your opinion is about 2020. The average person on the street doesn't care about 2020. They're trying to put freaking food on the table. They're trying to put gasoline in their tank. They're trying to afford their energy bills. That's what they're focused on. They're not focused on 2020. Somehow you, if you still hold on to that, you've got to stuff it. If you care about the future of the country. Because everybody else has moved on. And this has had a depressive effect on voters. They're not buying into this. And the way to get people to buy in is not to just keep repeating it. They're not going to buy it. And the longer we get, the further we get from 2020, the less people are going to care about that. And they're also going to associate it with January 6th. This is why I've said we've got to cut this whole chain of nonsense loose. There's a different type of pressure taking place right now, too. It's probably positive pressure towards someone else. A big star from election night. We will talk about that. Also, Joe Biden's response to the election. As you know, he's quite thrilled. But I'll tell you what's really intriguing. A CNN analyst. Her reaction to Joe Biden. It is priceless. Believe me, you're going to love this. <laughs> that much more as we continue our broadcast. Stay with us. Over on the text line, let's begin here. I supported Trump in 2016 and in 2020, but now it's really time for him to go away. Trump and his diehard supporters are looking more and more. Really? Like the squad on the left. He's nothing more than a sideshow. Really? Wake up. The mainstream media is trying to divide the Republicans by putting Trump versus DeSantis. This easiest way to control a large group of people is to divide them. Well, the media doesn't need to do anything. This is all very simple from my perspective. Vince, the states were all Democrats occupied. I don't think anyone could have put Republicans in those states. 
James Carville still alive? You never-Trumpers are idiots. Trump needs to announce now to excite the base. That's the only reason we'd come out to vote. This is sad. It really is. Very sad. See, that's where you're wrong, Vince. The president's policies haven't failed. They just haven't run long enough for us to see their true benefit to the people. You see, Vince, it's all in how you explain it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Vince, I heard it said that Kemp won Georgia. Walker didn't get the same number of votes. It proved voter fraud. The fact is, everybody does not vote straight line. Increasingly, voters vote for the person, not the party. I think suburban white women voted for Kemp, but not for Walker. And again, if that's the case, he's got to win them. That's the challenge now for this election on January 6th. Vince, had the red wave occurred as it should have, Biden would have ignored it because he has zero self-awareness. Yep. You're telling the absolute truth, Vince. I was amazed all month at what the radio host kept focusing on. This site is 2020 this week for the GOP. They have to realize the majority of Americans aren't ignorant, want real freedom, including legal, safe abortions in all states, really? And support separation of church and state. They've gotten too comfortable allowing Trump to pander to his wacko MAGA fans. The GOP absolutely can't read the room. <laughs> well, I don't think the room is what you've described here, but interesting. Let us see here. Just a sampling of some of the items on the text line. Vince, I call all listeners out there to contact Trump and ask him to not run again. He has nothing compared to DeSantis. DeSantis has our household vote if he decides to run. That is from Gene in Rock Hill. Just a sampling of items over on the text line. Not sure I'll get to this today. But it's pretty interesting to break down how people voted based on demographics. Some very interesting stuff out there. By the way, <laughs> this is just incredible. And frankly, sad. This is what Donald Trump posted on his, what is this thing called that he has, truth? Now that the election is over and everything went quite well, shouldn't it be said that in 2020, I got 1.1 million more votes in Florida than Ron DeSantis got this year, 5.7 to 4.6 million. Just asking? Nobody's asking that. My gosh, this is sad. It really is. And I don't mind saying it again and again and again when this is put before us. This is mental illness, is what it is. Narcissism. This is apples and oranges. An off-year election. And to compare votes with 2020 with 2022. I mean, I'm just going to put it bluntly. Only a moron would do that. And want you to believe that those should be comparable. Because they are not. Off-year elections, the vote tallies are always lower. This is just sad. It's sad to watch.
So I told you the flip side of potential pressure for Donald Trump to delay his announcement. The Hill has a story that Ron DeSantis is expected to come under increasing pressure to run for president in 2024 based on his performance. You heard those chants of two more years at his victory rally. Two more years. Many Republicans also see DeSantis as a stronger general election candidate than Trump, whether that's a contest against Biden or anybody else. Scott Jennings, a former advisor to former President George W. Bush, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, wrote in a CNN op-ed, DeSantis made a convincing case that he, rather than Trump, gives Republicans the best chance to defeat Biden or some other Democrat in 2024. DeSantis even flipped traditionally Democratic Miami-Dade County en route to a 20-point win. Miami-Dade. And they also mentioned, again, Mehmet Oz, his loss in Pennsylvania. The loss in Michigan, Wisconsin, other endorsees in Arizona and Georgia still locked in close races. One GOP strategist who worked on midterm races this cycle said DeSantis must run in 2024, saying he has a good argument based on his four years as governor and sweeping re-election win. You remember, you've probably heard about the front page of the New York Post. They're all in. You remember how Trump made fun of DeSantis, calling him desanctimonious? New York Post the front cover, D Future. Young GOP star romps to victory in Florida. There was an op ed. Ron DeSantis, the new Republican Party leader. I'm just telling you, folks, this is what's happening. The battle lines have been drawn, and there's no way around it. Unless somebody backs down, there's going to be a showdown of some sort. I just want you to be prepared. And no matter what happens, at the end of this, I hope we can all be gracious to each other. That's really important. Because we're going to have to be unified if our goal is to defeat liberalism. And notice I said liberalism. I'm not interested in attacking and taking down people. Do I want people to lose in elections? Yes. But simply insulting people is not going to get us anywhere. We need to win with our ideas. One of the things that so impresses me about Florida, they don't just talk about all of these things we've been concerned about. The woke movement, they have taken action. They've empowered parents. That's where the rubber hits the road. It's not. It's in policy. Seeing policy implemented. That's what we are shooting for. Still to come, Joe Biden. How's he reacting to all of this? Well, we'll share that. And a surprising reaction from the mainstream news media on this. When we continue, stay with us.
on the text line. Since Trump is playing right into the Democrats' plan, he will split the Republican vote in 2024, just like Ross Perot did in 92. Well, I certainly hope not. Henry, I believe God put Donald Trump in office for a time and a purpose. And he put the brakes on the World Economic Forum and Green New Deal agenda. That happened during his presidency. Exposing the corruption in our Justice Department and other government agencies. Exposing of all of these things. Yep. However, I think rather than being the chosen one to turn things around, he may be the one who was sent to prepare the way. Two of the main things. Yep, you were right about that. This texture says our adversaries really aren't liberals. They're global leftists. Vincent, is Trump trying to give Biden competition in being divider-in-chief? Because he's doing pretty good at it. Trump should be a kingmaker. But he's screwing that up as well. That is from Jeff. <laughs> this texture says Tulsi Gabbard would make a great Speaker of the House. <laughs> Boy, that would be interesting to watch. Quickly want to get to these before the end of the broadcast. First, this story, a discussion about Joe Biden. You heard his message pretty much boasting he's so proud of himself because a person in his position, a sitting president, the opposing party, should gain a lot. You heard what James Carville Serpent Head said earlier, the Republicans should have gained 57 seats. You put this in a computer. The It should have been a no-brainer. And you know where he put the blame. That's not the subject for now. But let's talk about Biden's perspective on this. Now, if you have an ounce of humility, you're saying, thank God, it's not as bad as it could have been. No. You're basically doubling down on stupidity. And you'll hear this comment from Gloria Borger. This really surprised me. She is CNN's chief political analyst. I was quite shocked at what she had to say about Joe Biden and his boasting about what has happened and his plans for the future. Listen up. Here was uh, sort of the thing that struck me, which is... When he was asked, would you change anything? Mm -hmm. He said, no. Now you have 75% of the country saying that we're headed in the wrong direction. 75% believe we are in a recession. And then the president, you know, in a way to try to brag about himself and what he's done, of course, and to talk about how Republicans would threaten your Social Security and your Medicare, he said he, he just wouldn't do anything different because, of course, our achievements take a long time to be recognized. That's insulting people. And and I don't think that was a good answer from the president. Wow. Gloria Borger. That's CNN, ladies and gentlemen. Not impressed at all by Joe Biden. What I also think was intriguing was the comment by Van Jones. <laughs> Folks, you can't get any better than this. It's not like these people are standing by, Oh, wonderful! We're so glad that Joe Biden has free reign to do what he wants to do a little bit longer, at least. At least there's some uncertainty. At least so far. 
no indication Republicans have the Senate. I don't hear celebration. And certainly no celebration regarding 2024. There's nobody saying four more years, two more years for him and four more on top of that. In fact, you're hearing the very opposite. Here's Van Jones. Listen to his comments. I I think people uh, love him. I think people appreciate him. I think people don't want him to run again. Uh, I think he has an opportunity to exit uh, on a high note, um, if you will. To exit on a high note. That's Van Jones. Can you believe this? (laughs) Now, I'm not here as an advocate for Van Jones. I'm going to make that very clear. And there's no question he's he's a leftist. He hasn't he has not changed. But he's not a Joe Biden fan by any means. One story I wanted to get to before the end of the broadcast, and this is really more for a matter of reflection as we end the the this segment of the broadcast today. This is a Breitbart story, and I think it tells us a lot about where our society is. Let me just briefly say before I even go into the story. I believe identity, security, value come first and foremost from our Creator. That's number one. The second thing is, I believe that there is a security and identity that is also attached to marriage. And when people, especially women, are unattached, There is a sense in which they try to find that security elsewhere. This is just theory of mine. But I believe a lot of women, unmarried women, find that security in government. This is one of the reasons why, in particular, the abortion issue is so significant. Having given you that prelude to this story, it'll help you understand, 68% of unmarried women favored Democrats in midterm elections. This is not a surprise to me at all. 31% favored Republicans. In comparison, 52% of unmarried men favored Republicans. 45% favored Democrats. For married men, 59 supported a Republican candidate, 39% supported a Democrat. 56% of married women supported Republican candidate compared to 42 who supported a Democrat. Overall, 59% of unmarried voters supported Democrats compared to 39% who supported Republicans. Do you see the trend here? I think there's something about identity, community, relationship, that when people don't have a sense of connectedness... They look to government as their provider, not only financially, but also emotionally. Just putting that out there. And a shout out to my friend Joe listening to the broadcast right now. Stay with us. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. 